Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 18 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the third Sunday after Pentecost, that is also known as the Sunday within the octave of the Sacred Heart, I'm happy to address the following. First, the Vigil of St. John the Baptist, which is coming up this week on Friday. What were some of the customs and traditions associated with this day, especially the forgotten fasting and abstinence which used to be practiced on this day? Two, I discussed the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, as well as some very interesting things we can learn about him. In fact, that uh, the Church always said uh, he was actually born without original sin, but not conceived without original sin. So I'll discuss that in a little more detail. That's something most priests no longer teach very um, openly, and it's something I find a lot of traditional Catholics don't even know. And, and uh, I also do address, thirdly, some of the upcoming feast days this week. Uh, we'll actually start with some of those feast days this week. Uh, but before I do so, I'd like to stop and thank uh, today's sponsor, this episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers without spending more time looking at screens. Conveniently carry these Latin prayer cards with you on the go and share the basic prayers in Latin with your friends and your family. PrayLatin.com prayer cards are available in various formats. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic readings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com also offers Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 miseries. So today, please visit PrayLatin.com and take advantage of the generous free shipping offers on both domestic and international orders. First and foremost now, let us turn to some of the upcoming feast days this week. As I like to do in these episodes, I like to highlight some of the upcoming feast days on the traditional calendar so people are aware of those, and I especially like to highlight some that people don't often know about or think about. For instance, this uh, upcoming June 19th, uh, that's tomorrow on Monday this year, is the commemoration of St. Gervais and Protes. Uh, what's interesting is these were the sons, actually, of St. Vitalis and St. Valeria. These two saints were martyred under Nero at Milan in the first century. St. Gervais was beaten to death, and St. Protes, after having been scourged, was beheaded. Now, St. Ambrose actually discovered their bodies in the year 386, and I believe it's actually related. He received a, a vision of St. Paul, who who showed him where the bodies were, and they were brought back with much fanfare. There's a very famous sermon that St. Ambrose gave regarding the translation and their relics. Their names are included in the Litany of the Saints, but few people uh, observe their feast day. Few people even know who they are. Another very interesting thing that I recently talked about with a friend is their bodies are actually vested and open for public veneration alongside the body of St. Ambrose in the Basilica of St. Ambrose in Milan, Italy. And I've been privileged to visit and venerate their bodies there. So if you ever do go to Milan and you see the body of St. Ambrose, he is flanked by these two saints who he, he, whose body he helped discover the, many years later in the year 386. So let's keep their patronage in mind this coming week on Monday, June the 19th. Um, 
In addition, uh, June 20th is the feast of Pope St. Silverius. Uh, he was... Um, he was a pope uh, in the 500s. Uh, again, a lot of these early popes died as martyrs. There's so much that we can learn about the history of the church by studying their life, and most people don't know much about them. I'll have a link, of course, in the show notes, as I usually do, so people can read more detailed accounts of some of these saints, as I recommend everybody do, um, especially as a family, if you have young children, is to read some of the lives of the saints every single day. They're inspiring story. They come from so many different walks of life, and they can teach us so many different things, even modern people, no matter the walk of life that we live or where they lived. And one such saint that's really worthy of uh, focusing on, especially reading the story with your children, is the saint we remember this upcoming Wednesday, June 21st, Saint Aloysius Gonzaga. He's the patron saint of Catholic youth, actually. He was, um, in the year 580, uh, he uh, received Holy Communion, uh, his first Holy Communion, from the hands of St. Charles Borromeo, uh, who was then a cardinal. While still a young boy, he began to teach catechism to poor children. Now, he felt a vocation to become a Jesuit, and while his mother consented, his father was actually quite furious. His family tried relentlessly to deter him from his vocation. They eventually tried to persuade him to become a diocesan priest. The family of St. Aloysius were prepared to buy him even a bishopric at the time if they could. Uh, at the age of 18, he signed away his legal claim to all his family's lands and the title to his brother and became a Jesuit novice, as he sought to do. In November 18, uh, 1585, he went to Rome and was granted an audience with Pope uh, Sixtus V. And on November 25th, 1585, he was accepted as a Jesuit novice. Now, in 1590, he had a vision in which St. Gabriel told him that he would die within a year. And with the outbreak of the plague in five in 1591 in Rome, the Jesuits opened a hospital for those stricken with the plague. And St. Aloysius worked in a ward there that where there were no plague victims, but when a man became afflicted with the disease, he soon developed symptoms. As he was dying, he spoke many times with uh, uh, his spiritual direction with St. Um, Robert Bellarmine. Uh, he also received another vision in which it was revealed that he would die in the octave day of Corpus Christi. Now, St. Bellarmine gave him the sacraments and recited the prayers for the dying, and on that octave day of Corpus Christi, on June 21st, 1591, he died shortly before midnight. Now, he was canonized uh, on December 31st, 1726 in Rome by Pope Benedict XIII, and his relics are entombed under the altar of St. Ignatius Church in Rome. The reason I bring him up especially is he is especially venerated as the patron saint of Catholic youth. There's much we can learn about him. He lived uh, for only 24 years on this earth, but his concern for the poor, his charity, his resolute purity, uh, he was really angelic in his purity and really heroic in his penance as well. So I'll, of course, have a link in the show notes so you can read more about his life. But uh, everything he did, f fighting against the, the uh, attractions of the world and the nobility, and really desiring to be a, a simple priest in a religious order, to giving himself to the care of those who needed it. Um, he is definitely someone that today's youth, even young adults, should, um, should learn more about and pray for his intercession. And uh, St. Paulinus, uh, his feast day is this coming Thursday, St. Paulinus of Nola, 
who was from uh, the uh, end of the 300s, early 400s. Uh, he was elected Bishop of Nola. He served in that office until his death in 431. He was friends of St. Augustine, St. Ambrose, St. Jerome, and many of the others of that era. He was actually a very gifted poet and author. He authored over 51 letters, 32 poems, several pieces of prose. There's much that can be written and said about his life as well that we don't have time to go into now. Uh, but the main topic, though, I wish to turn to now uh, in the next topic for this episode is I really like to talk a little bit about the vigil and the nativity of St. John the Baptist. It's a wonderful day coming up, so please mark the calendars for June 23rd. In fact, this is very close to the summer solstice, and there's some wonderful traditions associated with this day. Now, this is the vigil of the nativity. It used to be a day of fasting and absence in some places, and we certainly should keep it as such. Well, this year, the 23rd is a Friday, so it, of course, is a day of absence from from me. But we should uh, keep the fast as well. Here's what Dom Geringer writes when he writes in the late 1800s regarding this particular day. Quote, On the Lazarin Piazza, the faithful Roman people will keep vigil tonight, awaiting the hour in which the eve strict fast and abstinence to be broken when they give themselves up to innocent enjoyment, the prelude of those rejoicing, where with six months hence they will be greeting the Emmanuel. St. John's Vigil is no longer of precept. Formerly, however, not one day's fasting only, but an entire Lent was observed at the approach of the nativity of the precursor, resembling in its length and severity that of the advent of our Lord. The more severe had been the holy exactations of the preparation, the more prized and the better appreciated would be the festival. After seeing the penance of St. John's fast equal to the austerity of that preceding Christmas, is it not surprising to behold the church in her liturgy, making the two nativities closely resemble one another to a degree that would be apt to stagger the limping faith of many nowadays, end quote. So he's talking about how in in days past, this this was a day of fasting and absence. The people would actually keep a sort of Lent leading up to it, like, like as I've mentioned before on, on A Catholic Life's website, as well as in my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Abstinence, is that there was a 40-day fast leading up to Christmas called the Advent Fast or St. Martin's Lent in some places. There was also somewhat of a of a Lent leading up to this uh, period, even though we're currently in the Apostles' Fast as well. So there was certainly some overlap. Now, by the year 1893, and, I, and I've looked into research to confirm this, the only fasting days kept in Rome were the 40 days of Lent, all of the Ember Days throughout the year, and the vigils of the Purification of Pentecost, of St. John the Baptist, of Saints Peter and Paul, of the Assumption of All Saints, and of Christmas. But in just a few years after this time, Rome would abrogate the fast on the vigil of the Purification, as well as on the vigil of St. John the Baptist. So by that point, it had been completely faded. But we can keep this long-established penance. In addition to fasting and abstaining from meat, we can also keep the venerable practice of having the St. John Eve's bonfires on the night of June 23rd. In fact, in many Catholic nations, I actually witnessed this in Barcelona, there will be bonfires all along the beach at night and people will go out and celebrate and while it has turned more secular of course over time as europe has unfortunately secularized there is still that catholic ethos to remember why we're doing these things we're going out we're celebrating in these bonfires 
And um, the traditional bonfire is something that anybody can do as a family. In fact, this is traditionally when you burn your old worn-out sacramentals, where you reverently, of course, burn them. There's a very ancient customs regarding these bonfires. The Fish Eaters website, which I will have um, some information quoted from in the show notes, goes through over this in more detail. There's actually a hymn and a series of prayers which were which were said, and after these prayers, a decade of the rosary is prayed while walking sunwise, that's clockwise, around the fire, and the old sacramentals are reverently burned, and then the party begins. In some places, soul, brave souls will leap over the flames in the bonfire, an act which is given different meanings in places, the most, uh, most saying it's an act to bring blessings. Now, if you're uh, in a farming family, it's very customary to carry torches lit from this fire through your fields to bless them. Of course, if you're a farmer or not, tend the fire as late as you can go and have fun, uh, especially as a family, coming out and celebrating this day as the fast is, is ending. Of course, abstinence remains until midnight. Um, what's interesting is that some places, even in the United States before it became the United States, the colonies kept this day as a day of penance. For instance, the southeast colonies in modern-day uh, Florida and Louisiana did as such. Um, the Western colonies, uh, I believe, uh, as well, were also uh, doing so. That would be like Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, uh, and California. Um, they were all part, of, at that time, of the ecclesiastical province of Mexico, and their feasts and fasts were regulated at the time by the Third Council of Mexico from 1585. All that to be said, there's a large amount of history regarding this day, the the fasting, the preparation, but also the festivities that begin at night after sunset, leading into the nativity of St. John the Baptist, whose birth um, is finally here. And of course, this, this marks a short period of time now until Christmas, until we celebrate the birth of our Lord. We can count down the days. You know, St. John the Baptist said, I must uh, decrease, he must increase. That's also why we celebrate this feast day at this time, because the sun is uh, going to have, you know, the max amount of daylight, and it begins to recede. Uh, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. That's one of the spiritual realities we can contemplate as, as the daylight begins to change. Now, as to the last topic, the actual feast and the nativity of St. John the Baptist, what's interesting is that St. John the Baptist, the precursor of our Lord, was actually cleansed from original sin in his mother's womb. Now, it's not a dogma, but it's firmly established in pious tradition and supported by theologians, and it makes sense, of course, because to be the forerunner of Christ, St. John the Baptist should have been freed from original sin. So this was not an immaculate conception like our Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, he was conceived in original sin. He had original sin, but he was purified in the womb and thus born without original sin. Um, the Catholic Encyclopedia talks about this, uh, where it says, quote, and this is in reference to the, the visitation, quote, then was accomplished the prophetic utterance of the angel that the child should be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now, as the presence of any sin whatsoever is incompatible with the indwelling of the Holy Ghost in the soul, it follows that at this moment, John was cleansed from the stain of original sin, end quote. So that's one of the things we actually celebrate in the visitation, is that St. John the Baptist, when he le leapt in his mother's womb, was at that moment cleansed from that original sin, something that is not often talked about. So that's something we can pray about, something we can focus on for this upcoming uh, Nativity of St. John the Baptist. May he pray for our priests who are persecuted, for our church, 
for all of those uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ, who he truly sees now in heaven. I wish all of you a most blessed week as we celebrate and prepare for the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. Thank you for listening, and let us all strive for greater holiness this and every week. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. We do all these peccatamus.